good morning, New City. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, here you go, brother. My name's Matt Mastis, and I'm privileged to serve on the teaching team here at New City Church. And um, I don't know if you're aware, uh, we've been talking in this series called The Bucket List, and we've been really dealing primarily with three buckets, the bucket of truth, the, the bucket of tradition, and the bucket of opinion. This is the third week in that series, and depending on the tradition that you grew up worshiping in, you may also be aware that today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter. And uh, you may have grown up in a church where as a child you remember carrying palm branches and you'd come down waving them through the aisles. And you also know that you'd, you'd shout or say the word Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. It's a time when we remember that Jesus was riding into Jerusalem as a king, as the one that the people had been waiting for. And he rode in to shouts of God save and save now. And uh, that's a a shout that we've been saying, or at least I've been saying lately in my house, as uh, we found out not too long ago that we're expecting our fifth child. So I've been crying out, God save me. God, God help, help me, help me, save Save. So this is Palm Sunday, and we're crying out with shouts of God save or, or God save me. And immediately after Jesus cries out or he's walking through, his, peop- his people are crying out, God save, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Not too long after that, Jesus will find himself before a man named Pilate. A man named Pilate. You see, um, at the time that Jesus was crucified, the Jews who wanted to see him dead because he had claimed to be the Messiah, the one that people had been waiting for, even God in the flesh, they knew they didn't have the authority to put Jesus to death since they were in a place that was occupied by Rome, and so they needed some help with that. And so after they didn't get what they needed from their religious authorities, they went to their political authorities. And we're going to just pick up a little piece of the story. I'm not going to teach from that section this morning, but we're going to pick up a piece of that story in John chapter 18. And this is the story. So again, this will just tell us the rest here. It says, So Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, and they said to him, You're not one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I'm not. One of the high priest slaves, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, Didn't I see you with him? In the garden, and Peter denied it again, and immediately a rooster crowed. So that's part of the story where Peter denies three times, and this is what happens next. They took Jesus from Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They did not enter the headquarters themselves, otherwise they would be defiled and not una- and unable to eat the Passover. You see, in the Jewish tradition, that was part of what they were dealing with, is this desire to not be unclean, and Jesus really challenged them on that in a lot of places. Then Pilate came to them and said, What charge do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. So Pilate told them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death, the Jews declared. They said this so that Jesus' words might be fulfilled, saying what sort of death he was going to die. Then Pilate went back into headquarters, summoned Jesus, and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Are you asking this on your own, or have others told you about me? I'm not a Jew, am I? Pilate replied. Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? 
My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. Should be a reminder for us when we're prone to get too bent out of shape about things that happen in our world, politically or otherwise. At our kingdom, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's not of this world. Verse 37. You are a king then, Pilate asked. You say that I'm a king, Jesus replied. I was born for this, and I've come into the world for this, to testify the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, see that word, listens to me. And then the whole reason I read you this story is listen to what Pilate says to Jesus next. He says, what is truth? What is truth? Listen. What is truth is the foundational question that Pilate was asking Jesus. And he asked him in a kind of mocking way. Because for Pilate, truth was subjective. Truth was whatever the crowds wanted the truth to be because Pilate was concerned with his own authority. He was concerned with maintaining his power and position. And ultimately, he assents to the crucifixion of Jesus, even as conflicted as he was, as you read in the story in John's Gospel. He still assents to the crucifixion of Jesus because for him, truth was whatever it allowed him to continue to be in power. It was subjective. So before this encounter with Pilate, though, talking about truth, Jesus has another encounter with a group of religious leaders in John chapter 8. And I just want to read you a piece of that story this morning. They ask a similar question, These Jew, the Jews do, the Pharisees, that Pilate asks a little bit later after he goes and he tries to get Jesus off the hook a little bit. He has him beaten and whipped and he comes back and Jesus tells him a few things and Pilate says, who are you? Where did you come from? Where did you come from? Listen how the Jews ask Jesus a similar question. <laughs> Verse 25 of John 8, who are you? They question. Precisely what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus told them. I have many things to say to judge about you, but the one who sent me is true. And what I've heard from him, these things I tell the world. You see, Jesus says, what I hear from the Father, I tell you. And in another place, he'll say, I don't say anything and I don't do anything. that I don't hear my Father saying or see my Father doing. And if you came from the same place that I came from, from my Father, you would understand those things. Jesus will tell them. But since you don't, since you come from your father, the devil, see, Jesus didn't mince any words. He called them fatherless children of Satan in other places. He doesn't mince words with them, but they don't get it. Who are you? Verse 27 of John 8. They didn't know he was speaking to them about the father. Big surprise. So Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, and he's talking about himself being crucified, being lifted up was another way that we talked about being raised up on a cross. When you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my, my own, but just as the Father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, because I always do what pleases him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. And listen to this. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Friends, we're really left with two views of truth. We're left with two views of 
of truth. Pilate asked, what is the truth? And Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We're left with two options when it comes to truth. We can go with Pilate where truth is subjective and it's whatever allows us to continue to maintain our position or our comfort. Or we can go with Jesus and we can know the truth and the truth will set us free. Friends, that's why this series is so important because as Pastor Matt told us last week, many people will die on the hill of tradition thinking it's the hill of truth. Many of you will die on the hill of tradition or opinion thinking it to be the hill of truth. Friend, may that not be the case among us. May we be ones who know the difference between our opinion, our tradition, and what the truth really is. Because if we really know the truth, it should set us free. But that's the reason that Jesus came, he lived, he suffered death, and was resurrected. In one of the early church creeds, or a statement of belief, the Nicene Creed, it says this about Jesus. It says that he came for us and for our salvation. I like that. I like that. It tells us the reason why Jesus came and he lived and he suffered and he died for us and for our salvation. He defeated death to guarantee our freedom. And so if we decide to go with Jesus, that knowing the truth and that it will set us free, we're really left with one option when it comes to keeping our tradition and our opinion in in the same place or in a different place than what the truth is. We're left with one option when we know the truth. Here it is. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. That word repent, it means, to, it means to turn and to continue turning. You see, repentance isn't this one-time event. That's confession when we confess our sin. That's a one-time that happens over and over again. It should, but repentance is this lifestyle that we live in. It's this ongoing turning and spurning away from the way that we used to live and a turning towards Jesus. One of the early church fathers, Augustine, who we'll hear from a little bit later in the message too, said that all of life is repentance. We don't just repent one time and be done with it, church. We repent over and over and over again. We repent when we realize that we're in our sin. When we're confronted with the truth, we, we should come to a place of repentance. That's really our only option if we are followers of Jesus. Is We're confronted with the truth of what God's word says or about a situation that we're in. And we, we examine that in light of the way that we're currently living. And we realize there's a disconnect there. Amen? Like there's a disconnect between what God's word says and how we're living. And at that point, we, we repent. We turn from sin and we believe the good news of the gospel that whatever sin debt that we acquired in this life or this choice that we make, that Jesus already paid the penalty for that when he died sacrificially on the cross for us. And so we don't live in shame and in guilt any longer because we believe the truth. We believe that Jesus died and his resurrection guaranteed new life for us as followers of him. And so we don't live like an old way of life anymore. And we don't go about the business of trying to make good on this wrong anymore. You see that? Not a wrong towards a person, but a wrong towards the Lord. Because we can't do that. We aren't capable of it. That's the reason why Jesus came and lived and suffered and died for us. So we just believe the gospel. And so that's my hope for you this morning, friend, is that when you hear the truth of God's word, that you would repent, you would turn from your sin, and you would believe the truth about who Jesus is. But how do we do this meaningfully? That's the question, right? How do we, how do we live this lifestyle of repentance meaningfully? How do, we, how do we live in such a way that 
when we know the truth, but we still honestly hold traditions and opinions? How do we live with these other buckets of opinion and tradition? Well, that's where Ephesians 4 is helpful, a passage that should be a little familiar to you as we've been walking through it. It gives us a map for how to do this. So I'm just going to go ahead and read that this morning. I do believe you have it printed for you in your worship guide. But this is Paul, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus. And the point of the entire book of Ephesians is unity. If you read the whole book of Ephesians, if you haven't done that, I encourage you to do it. You're to read it as a book about unity. Because you see, the the letters that Paul writes to these early churches, they're not that much different than the letters that we would need today. Because what happens is the gospel goes to a place, and someone plants a church, a person like Epaphras, who planted many churches, he heard the gospel in Ephesus from Paul, and went back to Colossae and planted a church. So this church was planted in Ephesus, and since churches are made up of people, it's not too long before problems start happening. And so these church leaders write back to Paul, the person that shared the gospel with them, and say, Paul, we got problems, yo. We got all these people, and they're giving us these problems. We don't know what to do with it. And so Paul does the same thing in all these letters he writes. He says, listen, I'm going to remind you of the gospel. I'm going to remind you who Jesus is, and I'm going to remind you of who you are. And then we'll just see how that problem resolves itself when we put those two things together, who you are and what the gospel says, who Jesus is, right? So he does that. And so here in Ephesians 4, he's giving us a piece of that puzzle. Listen to what he says. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord. You see, Paul's in jail in Rome when he's writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. But he doesn't choose to talk about his his prisonership or his inmate ability or his inmate identity. He talks about him being a prisoner of the Lord. It's important. I urge you, or I beg you, to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. Your translation might say, the calling with which you were called. And that's a calling to unity. With all, How do we do this, Paul? Look what it says in verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, of all, who is above all and through all. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe you today. We believe that you are everything that you said you were. And so when the reality of who you are in your life, death, burial, and resurrection confronts us in the reality of where we are in our sin and our bad choices and decisions, we pray that we would choose to repent. We choose to turn from the way that we've been living and turn towards you and know that it's only in you that we have life and have it to the fullest. We love you, Lord, and we pray that you would speak truth to our hearts today. Amen. Today, church, we're going to walk through the truth about unity. We're going to walk through the truth about unity. And we'll see three things primarily. We'll see why we live in unity. We'll see how we live in unity. And we'll see what we unify around. If you couldn't write that down quickly enough, that's fine. We'll go back there again. We'll see why we live in unity, how we live in unity, and what we unify around. Listen to me. Friends, my purpose in preaching to you this morning isn't so that you will give up your buckets of truth, opinion, and tradition. I don't want you to give them up because that would be dishonest, right? We're all going to continue to have opinions. We're all going to continue to have a tradition that we were raised in. But my, So my hope isn't that you would give up your buckets, but that you would keep the right things in the right buckets. So my grandpa told me a story um, 
on more than one occasion of when he was a boy. And he said that some of his family members lived in a place where they didn't have indoor plumbing. So there was an outhouse, right? He said, which was okay. He said, but, you know, it'd get cold. And uh, so when it was in the cold season, they would give you a bucket that you'd keep by your bed. So that when uh, nature called in the middle of the night, that there would be this bucket that you could use. He said, that was fine. He said, but there was also another bucket that we would have in our room, and it was a bucket that was filled with clean water. So if you needed a drink or you wanted to wash your face off, he said that you had this bucket. And he said, now I wish I could tell you that I always kept the buckets in order. Friend, don't be like my grandpa. Make sure you keep the right stuff in the right bucket. Is that important? Can we agree that's important? It's no different with our buckets of truth, tradition, and opinion. They're all well and good, and each have their place. Each have their place. But it does us no good when we mix those buckets up. And as funny as that is when it happens to somebody else, right? It can be devastating when it happens to us. It can be devastating when it happens in the life of a church, when we confuse our buckets of truth, tradition, and opinion. A couple questions for you to consider as we move through the message this morning. Number one, what am I holding is a truth that's really a tradition or opinion? What am I holding as a truth that's really a tradition or opinion? And here's the reason why that question is important. When you're confronted with the truth of what God's Word really says... You need to ask if you're willing to change your mind or your opinion on the basis of what God's Word actually says. My, my, my inkling is that some of you are so attached to an opinion or tradition that you have that that's formed more of your identity than the truth of what God's Word really says. And so my hope is that you'd understand that and repent and believe the gospel. What am I holding on to as a truth that's really a tradition or opinion? Second question, do my traditions and opinions build up or break down the body? Do my traditions or opinions build up or break down the body? Listen, this church, New City Church, it's not the church that all of us want it to be individually. Because we would all change something about it if we, if we could, if we had the power to do that. We would all change one thing that we don't like. right? Me, me included, Curtis included, Pastor Matt included. But here's the deal. We succeed as the body of Christ when we all choose to lay our traditions and our opinions down for the sake of a greater calling that we're called to together. You see that? So do your traditions and opinions build up or break down the body? Finally, is my... Ooh, this one's hard. I'm sorry in advance, but not really. Is my identity currently shaped more by the truth or by something else? Maybe it's your identity as a father or as a husband or a wife. Maybe you're allowing that part of your identity to shape you more than the truth. The reason why that's important, friend, is whatever you're allowing to shape your identity, that's what has the power to destroy you if it's taken away or if it changes. So maybe some of you, you're allowing your identity to be shaped by your job situation or some position that you hold or a vehicle that you drive or a home that you live in that's all fine until those things get taken from us. And then what? And then what? Well, we spend enough time talking about what we're going to talk about. Let's talk about it. So why do we live in unity? Look what Paul says in verse 1 of Ephesians 4. He says, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling that 
you have received. You see, it's on the basis of Paul's identity as a prisoner that Paul begs them to walk worthy of their calling, which is a calling to unity. And that word walk is important. It appears over and over again throughout the rest of Ephesians. And it really is a way that we talk about the manner of life that we live in or our course of action. And even though Paul's actually in prison, he doesn't play a pity party, but reminds them of who he's really in service under. That word Lord occurs 26 times in Ephesians, and 20 of them occur in chapters 4 through 6. So do you think that Paul's identity as a prisoner of the Lord is important? Yes, it's far more important than his physical location as a prisoner of Rome. The fact that he's a prisoner of the Lord. Friend, how many of our problems in the church and in life would be solved if we truly reminded ourselves that we're prisoners of the Lord? If we truly savored and saw that being a slave to Jesus is freedom? Many of these questions and things that we struggle with would take care of themselves. If you'd wake up and you'd look in the mirror every day and remind yourself that you're a prisoner of the Lord. You're not a prisoner of your job. You're not a prisoner of your life situation. You're just a prisoner of the Lord. And that identity as one who's a servant of King Jesus should transform the way that you live. It should change you. It should change you. Friends, unity is the theme throughout the entire book of Ephesians because nothing gives God greater glory than when His church is unified. In John 17, Jesus prays that the disciples would be one like He and the Father and the Spirit are one. And Paul tells us in Romans 12 that we are to give God our plural bodies as a singular sacrifice. And later in this book of Ephesians, in chapter 6, we learn how together as one body we put on the armor of God and we do war against the evil one. This isn't about each of us individually putting on our belt of truth and our breastplate of righteousness and doing battle with by ourselves. No, this is us as one corporate body of believers, one church, standing united together, putting on this armor of God and doing war. We can't, we can't do this by ourselves. This isn't for you to go off in your own closet and battle the evil one by yourself. No, that wasn't given to us to do. It was given to the church us together is one doing battle with the evil one. The reason why that's important, friends, is if we fail to do this, we end up doing battle with each other. You see that? When we fail to come together in unity and battle the evil one, we end up doing battle internally with one another. That's the same thing as when the church, if the church had an autoimmune disease. You know what happens when you have an autoimmune disease? The very responses that God encoded into your body to fight off disease end up consuming you. Your body wars against itself. That's what happens in the church. We end up waging war against ourselves. And friends, may it never be. Listen, if you don't hear anything else I say today, hear this. Our enemy isn't in here. Your enemy isn't in here. Your enemy's out there. Do you see that? Your enemy's not in here. And if, if you're here this morning and you, you have some kind of conflict or disagreement with another brother or sister in Christ that's a, a part of this body, you, I, I give you permission. Get up right now. Go find them and spend the rest of the time together this morning hashing that out. Because that's going to benefit you more than anything else that happens today. Because your enemy's not in here. He's, he's out there. And Satan would love nothing more than for us to do his job for him. To tear each other down. Let's not be part of that. 
because scripture tells us that currently he's roving around like a roaring lion seeking whom he would devour. Do you see that? In Galatians 5, a little bit earlier, I just want to read this to you quickly. Listen to what it says. This is going to sound familiar. See, Paul's a broken record. He's not here to tell the people anything new. He just tells them the same thing over and over again. doesn't matter if he's writing to Galatia or Ephesus or Colossae or Philippi or Corinth. He's just telling them all the same thing. Or Thessalonica. Again, I'm just going to tell you the truth, guys. Churches. Listen to what he says in Galatians. He says, for you are called to freedom. Oh, what? Oh, that's familiar to me, Paul. You are called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then this is the linchpin. Listen to this. This is just so vivid. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. Oh, church, that we wouldn't bite and devour one another. That we wouldn't be part of doing Satan's job for him. And as unappealing as it is for us to look upon a dissected physical body, even more so for the body of Christ that is dissected. So our primary calling or job is to unity, but how do we, how do, we do this? How do we live in unity? Look in verses 2 or three, two and 3. With humility and patience, with gentleness, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity in the spirit with the peace that binds us. And friends, this is where our identity as Westerners can be in a hindrance for us because we're raised in an environment where personal autonomy and freedom are seen as the ultimate good and something to be fought for at great cost. And while those are good values for us as a society, they can only be achieved personally in pursuit of their complements of humility, gentleness, patience, patience, and acceptance. But part of the problem with this is we let our ego get in the way. And nothing turns an opinion into a truth quicker than when we let our ego drive the bus right? And let me, let me tell you a story real quickly about how that happened in my marriage. So we, we're renting this house right now, and there are two bathrooms on the top floor of this house, and one of them's in the main hall, and the other one's in our bedroom. And the shower off of our bedroom is kind of hard, like it's a high-pressure high shower, and I kind of like it, you know, when we moved in, I was like, oh, the shower's kind of nice, but my wife, Jessica, she doesn't like the shower, okay? And one day in the kitchen, she's like, man, I don't like that shower, don't, what do you think? And, you know, I, like I said, I have an opinion that I like it better. But I was like, I kind of like the shower. She's like, but it's really hard. Well, now all of a sudden I had this slight opinion, but since she doesn't like it, my ego gets in the way. And I'm like, I love that shower. She's like, how can I'm like, no, that's, you're just, that's a better shower, right? She's like, what do you mean? And so I'm like, man, I'd give my life for that shower. I'm never going to shower in another shower but that shower. And so now I have to, I, I only shower in that shower. Even if I would maybe sometimes prefer the other shower, now I've staked my life on the claim that that's a better shower. So that opinion that I had turned into a truth really quick. And now I give my life for it. I can't, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up that hill. I'm dying on that hill with that shower. And listen, as comical as that is in our marriage at best, right? It can be deadly in the life of the church. So when you're prone to prop up your opinion like a paper truth, I want you to remember the words of the prophet Ice Cube and check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> check yourself before you wreck yourself, friend. Before you wreck the church, check yourself. Listen. Listen. 
In verse 2, we have this key for keeping our buckets in order because when we live with each other in humility and gentleness and patience and acceptance and love, all of a sudden our buckets of tradition and opinion, while still important, suddenly find themselves bowing before the bucket of truth. You see that? That phrase, one another, when Paul says, love one another, forgive one another, accept one another, that phrase, one another, Paul uses it over 40 times when he writes to the churches. 40 times, one another, one another, one another, one another. Just to show them how important this is because we are to diligently keep the unity produced by the Spirit with this peace of the gospel that binds us. And friends, it's only the Spirit of the living God that makes this possible. When, when we live like this in the body, we can't keep people away from us. If we lived as a community of people who constantly were humble before one another and forgave one another and accepted one another in love, could we keep people away? No, because the church would be the only place in our city where people across socioeconomic boundaries, people that drove here in completely different vehicles or came in no vehicle at all, people that looked different from one another, spoke differently from one another, had different traditions from one another, if we could be the kind of place where we all gather together and worship then people that aren't here would say, that's amazing. Because our world, friends, is so polarized. And the media in our world is bent on keeping us at odds and at war with one another. But if we as the church can say, listen, there are some things that are more important than my tradition and my opinion. That's the truth of who God is because he's the one that made us family. He called us to himself and because of that we sit at the same table with Jesus, with God as our father and Jesus as our elder brother who's also our king. And we celebrate the differences in each other. And we we love one another. So what do we unify around quickly? Verses 4 through 6. Look at what it says. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in all. Friends, we shout this in praise. It's like a a battle cry. These are the things that we rally behind in the banner that we wave. And, And I love, Paul puts this together so beautifully in three sets of three. Body, hope, spirit, Lord, faith, baptism, God, Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in all. Reminding us of the Trinitarian nature of who God is. First, so what are these things? Friends, we are part of one body. This is the bride of Christ, the church. And you have to be part of this body of believers to consider yourself a follower of Jesus. There's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. And even if there were, the Lone Ranger had Tonto. So even he wasn't alone. And you can't be alone either. We're part of that one body together. We have one spirit that we're born of. God tells us in his word that only it's by grace through faith that we're saved. That's, that's how salvation happens for us. Not of works that we would boast about it. We have one hope. We have one hope in unity now and eternally. Listen, what do you think heaven's going to be like? If you can't be with each other here, you're going to hate heaven. If you don't like people that are different from you here, you're really going to hate it there. So it's, a, it's essential that we're called into unity now. Now. Because this is what we're going to be doing forever and ever and ever. We have one Lord. Scripture tells us there's only one name given under heaven by which men are saved. And that's the name of Jesus, friends. There's not many, just as there are many roads up a mountain, there are not many ways to God. There's one. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. 
That's it. That's it. Jesus says in John, He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him or by Him. We have one baptism. There's one thing that marks us out. So what's keeping you from that this morning? Curtis mentioned baptism a little bit earlier. My Two of my, my currently four children um, were baptized on Christmas Eve, and it was glorious. It's amazing. So what's keeping you? What, 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 is, what is that barrier between you and the Lord that's keeping you from stepping out in obedience in that way? If it's a question, ask somebody. If it's a timing, behold, now is the time, friend. Next Sunday, it's the water's going to be ready for you. And we would love to celebrate with you the step of obedience that you're walking in. One baptism. We have one God and Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in all. That reminds us of the words in Deuteronomy chapter 6, when God is speaking to his people, and Moses tells them, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We have one God. Is there any greater basis of our unity than that truth that there's one God? No. And friends, if these things are true, if these are the things that unite us, is there or should there be anything that divide us? No. No. So as we get ready to wrap up this morning, I want to ask you, Again, what are you holding on to as a truth that is really a tradition or opinion? And are you willing to change your mind or your behavior when you're confronted with the truth of who God really is and what His Word says? Do your traditions and opinions build up or break down the body? And if you've been confronted with that this morning, repent and believe. Just turn, admit it, right? Say, I've done this. I've used this as a way to divide with somebody here. Is your identity currently shaped more by the truth or by something else? Listen, you need to get that straight now because you'll be in a world of hurt if that thing gets taken away from you and it's what's defining your identity. So what are some takeaways for you this morning? First of all, stay in your car and your lane. All right, Our tradition, if we're all on the same road of truth together as followers of Jesus... We're all, that's fine. We're all on the same road. We're just in a different car. So as followers of Jesus at New City Church, this is what our car looks like, right? This is the way we get on down the road. And that's all well and good. So stay, stay in your car in your lane. And don't feel like everybody has to be in your car if they're on that road with you. It's okay. It's okay. Secondly, remember the words of Augustine who I mentioned earlier. He said this. He said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. So on the things that are most important, things like the Apostles' Creed, we believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, one, one church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Guys, those are close-handed issues. Those are the things that we don't give up, the things that we fight over. And so when you get some friendly people that want to knock on your door and hand you a copy of the Watchtower, you'd be ready to punch them in the face theologically. 
because they don't believe the same things that God's word says. And we fight over those things. And listen, you don't have to be nice to heretics. You don't. Because they're leading people astray. They're leading people astray. But on the open-handed issues, the things that we, we say, hey, there's some, some, we have some grace there. We go, okay, listen, yeah, we can shake hands. We can, we can hold hands and be brothers together with these things. Worship style, traditions that we were raised in. Great. We can get on down the road together. That's great. This is my open hand. I, I, I offer it to you. But you're not taking these close-handed things from me. You're not taking the virgin birth from me. You're not taking the inerrancy of Scripture from me. You're not taking God's hand in creation from me. Because this is the truth. This is the truth. And friend, finally, just stop dating Jesus in the church. Stop dating Jesus in the church. Listen, make, make a commitment. For you that might be baptism. For you that might be joining in membership here. For you that might be going all in. Making Jesus the Lord of your life. And I don't know the decision that he's speaking to you about this morning. Curtis is going to come up and some others are going to come up with him and lead us in a time of response. But this is the time for you to be obedient to that decision that God is asking you to make today. And I don't know what it is. The Holy Spirit could be speaking to you about something completely different. Maybe it's about something in your life that you haven't let Jesus be the Lord over And your challenge this morning is the same as it is with some other things. It's to repent and believe the gospel. To hand whatever that thing is that's operating as the Lord of your life, to identify it and to hand it over to Jesus. Because here's the truth. Jesus is the Lord of our life partly because he's so much better at life than we are. He's better at it. So why wouldn't we let him lead us in that? It's like when you're with your kids sometimes and you want them to let you help them with something but they want to do it i do i do i do okay man you you do right and i'll be here when you this the way that you do is not really working for you anymore so what's gonna what what will it be for you today my hope is that you would repent and believe the good news but however it is that God's calling you to respond, now's the time. If you'd like to come to the front and kneel and pray, if you'd like to be in your seat and pray, if you'd like to grab the hand of that person you need to reconcile with, now's the time to do that. But if you'd like me to pray with you or for you in any way, I'm going to be just standing here off to the side, and I'd love to spend some time in prayer with you this morning. But however it is that God is calling you to respond, now's the time. Let's pray together.